now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guests Sting. An earworm rears its ugly head from 1997. The Internet's favorite dad, Brittle Star, joins us to talk about his viral video hit and his big plans for social media north in the new year. You two landed in Singapore. I'll compare and contrast South Asian fans to their Western counterparts. Plus, will Alan make it to see Diamond Dave in Las Vegas? Spoiler, yes, I will. You haven't bought the tickets yet, man, and I bet they're just being snapped up. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So I've had stuck in my head all week, and maybe even longer, such that I have had to force my daughter and my wife to suffer through the pain of the 1997 hit song from Sugar Ray, Fly. Yeah, with that uh, weird little melodic bend in the hook. Yes, I know the song very well. I'm hooked on it. Ever since one of our big friends of the show, Brittle Star, posted that he had to pick up his son from the airport at one in the goddamn morning. And of course, at one in the morning, nobody's at no. the airport. So he he danced his way through Terminal 1 waiting for his kid and put it to that particular track. And it was like suddenly 20 years evaporated and I was like 25 years old again. I've tried to forget Sugar Ray because they were a band that um, knew that they were going to flame up very quickly. In fact, they had an album called 14 Minutes and 59 Seconds. They weren't even going to have their 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> they are still together. And Mark McGrath is, uh, he was in the news recently uh, over the last week because he sent out a, for a hundred bucks, he'll send a, a personalized message to someone. And he sent out a message to, to one person saying that, yeah, you know, I want to be friends, but we're breaking up. So he was deliverer deliverer of bad news. Now, that turned out to be fake, um, but he still got his 100 bucks. Isn't there a website that has rooked celebrities into signing up? It's kind of like Fiverr.com, where for five bucks, somebody will do a thing for you. In a similar vein, a celebrity will voice your answering machine message or, or what have you in exchange for that. We were looking at um, getting some really famous rock stars to do Geeks and Beats station IDs, as it were. You know, right. hi, whatever I've been Toronto, I listen to. Um, and it was apparently quite cheap to get some pretty famous people. It was for a while. There's still some people doing it. And you have to wonder why Mark McGrath would do something like this for 100 bucks. I mean, he's still making money from Sugar Ray, and he's working for Sirius XM. He should be doing fine. But, uh, eh, you know, 100 bucks is 100 bucks, right? One of the, the stories that I'm following when I'm working on this new entrepreneurial documentary series that I'm shooting for one of Canada's big banks, CIBC, uh, is the entrepreneurs are telling me a bunch of different things. And one of them is, and one of the lessons that we're sort of turning into an episode is how do you pivot? Like one guy had started up a software company aimed at dealing with 
um, the the headache that comes with being the boss of a restaurant or a retail operation where you've got to organize the schedule of all these people who are only working part-time and usually it's all done on post-it notes and he had this great software system that everybody loved and then one day he realized I need to get rid of two-thirds of my customers and focus <laughs> just on just on that restaurant industry and he pivoted in a similar vein as I was researching the rock band Sugar Ray they had what they referred to as a new metal sound until they got that first hit and went, wow, maybe we ought to do more pop rock friendly stuff. Yeah, they came out of what was uh, a really polarizing sound in the middle to late 90s when it came to alternative bands. And and they were sort of in that same category. They weren't as heavy as, as a band like Korn or um, who else? Uh, any of those other new metal bands. I didn't even know new metal was a thing. Oh, no, no. That was a terribly polarizing sound that came out of an amalgamation of rap and alternative rock. It was it was a, a metally sort of thing. Limp Bizkit would be probably the, the number one new metal band of all time. And and you either loved it with its, you know, with its, with its testosterone-fueled bra kind of uh, attitude, or you hated it. And I, I, I absolutely hated it. But even Sugar Ray didn't really, after recognizing the need to go mainstream, still had an interesting twist to them. But it wasn't new metal; it was reggae. Well, they, yeah, a little, little, little sunnier sounding. Um, mm. There were a couple of other bands that made that pivot too. You know, Incubus might be one. You could make a bit of an argument for Linkin Park, but but Sugar Ray was would definitely found that formula, and uh, they had a number of hits over uh, that you know, three-year period at the end of the 90s and did very, very well. It charted at number 52 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 90s. Why are we talking about Sugar Ray? Where did this come from? What's the problem? Because it has been stuck in my head. And, oh, okay. And there's, there's a term for that. No. It's, it's an earworm, right? Yeah. But I think you gave me a, 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 an actual medical or clinical definition of that of that term at one point, uh, where you can't get the song stuck, get the song out of your head. And we did a deep dive into that at one point, you know, like three hundred episodes ago or so, where you taught us that the best way to get an earworm out of your head is to do Sudoku. Sudoku, yes, I remember that. Yes, Sudoku. Yeah, Sudoku. Whatever it is, because your brain needs to not focus on something in a hard and difficult fashion, but easy, light mathematics, light arithmetic is enough to distract your brain from the track, whereas the general belief is is that if you've got an earworm, the best way to get rid of it is to give it to someone else. Yes. Which I think we've just done to pretty much everyone listening. Yeah. the be- I, saw, I was in a, uh, in a bathroom in downtown Toronto once, and I'm standing at the urinal, and somebody had written across the, the top, uh, Elton John's Rocket Man is stuck in my head. Now it's stuck in yours. Spent an awful lot of time reading the bathroom walls. I was, uh, I really had to go and I had nothing to do for a while. <laughs> With that in mind, let's bring the man in who made this earworm in my head possible. Stuart, Mr. Brittle Star is I think how we, we know him, but Stuart Reynolds is his alter ego, his mild-mannered alter ego, and he joins us from the booming metropolis of Stratford, Ontario. Good to have you with us. Oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So... First of all, let's get into whether or not you're going to get your ass sued out of existence 
for running a track from 1997 as was it TikTok? <laughs> I used an app called Triller, which is a it's an app where you can take a bunch of tunes and I think they must have licensing deals. So that was part of the app, like that particular track was in the app. Yeah, so uh, there's an app called Triller, and uh, I, I'm I'm guessing they have some sort of licensing deals. But basically, you sort of can search for any song you want, and, uh, and then you can film clip after clip of like 16 seconds long, and then the app actually just chops it up on beat in the app, so you just randomize it. You're kidding? Does it for you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, see, I was giving you the credit for this editing. Oh no, it was one o'clock in the morning, and it was actually uh, I was in the Vancouver airport doing that, and. Uh, I was just like doing anything to stay sort of awake. And I thought, well, this will be fun. Um, but I mean, it's, I mean, lots, it's what's funny is that a lot of uh, like, for lack of better term, SoundCloud rappers who are posting stuff, their tracks on, on Twitter will just use Triller. They'll just like do a whole bunch of clips of like their hook and then post the complete, you know, the compiled uh, shuffled clips from Triller as their video on Twitter, which is no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, this sounds like a licensing nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I mean, it's, I don't. Again, I don't know. I think they're an American company. I'm I'm on the website now, Triller.co, and it reports 60 million downloads. Yeah, and 100 plus filters. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff you can do on your phone. I mean, it's just kind of nonsense and sort of silly, but it's fun though. I mean, it's super fun. But they're an American company, as far as I know, and as opposed to a company like TikTok, which is owned by ByteDance. And of course, they can they can do whatever they want to do, right? Where did you discover this? I discovered it when uh, Triller showed up at a conference called Playlist Live. In uh, it was actually in Washington D.C. They went to that one, and uh, I met up with the guy who runs the company, and they had like a little you know exhibition booth type of thing, and uh, we're trying to get kids to use it, and it never really took off as its own platform because it's is it is its own platform as well as an app. Um, but kids would just use it now and still use it now to just make these little silly, you know, music videos on the fly on their phone and then post them to Twitter or to YouTube or to, you know, Instagram or IGT IGTV or whatever, that type of thing. Damn kids never using things the way they were supposed to use them. <laughs> exactly. It's the spirit of punk. It's still alive. It's just an, it's now in a phone instead. Hmm. But Alan, you bring up a very valuable point, which is, you know, how do they ensure that somebody doesn't get their ass sued off for playing these tracks in the first place? They would have to be licensed as the music is uh, apparently it says choose a song from Triller's extensive library or import a song from your own library. Mm -hmm. So there is some sub substantial risk here at play. And, and and being the social media guru that you are, mm. maybe, Stuart, you can give us some insight into things like TikTok as well. Like, how is this platform surviving when people are doing lip syncs of proper commercial tracks? Well, I think, you know, like Triller, for example, you're saying, what was it, 60 million or whatever you said. Um, I mean, that's a lot of people, but it's also peanuts. It's also nothing. So I think they're so tiny that it doesn't really matter at this point. And I think there's also new copyright changes happening where, uh, you know, smaller use, I think it's currently six seconds and under now is officially are coming up to be allowed to be used in uh, in different content. Really? Okay. I would love to be able to talk to some of the licensing and performing arts organizations around the world, who would have negotiated that 
What publisher would have said six seconds is okay for free use? I think the reason is, is because you look at platforms like TikTok and you've got songs, you've got artists like BB No Money, who's a Vancouver rapper type guy. And he has, like, he owns, uh, owes his success to the fact that kids were ripping his tune and using it in TikTok videos. And that kind of blew it up into the charts. So I think that there's a little bit of trade-off where I think that the licensing trade-off is kind of like, well... Yeah, they're going to use a chunk of the song up to like 16 seconds or even 60 seconds. But if it blows up, that means we're going to get a lot of free advertising and maybe more kids will download the song or stream the song or whatever, that type of thing. Another avenue for, for making money. Yeah, I think so. And that that's really where, where my head is at on all of this. When you see so much of that pushback, demanding uh, licensing fees and things like that for things that you would never in a million years get a dime for in the first place. So why not let the kids have some fun, maybe get your track exposed a little bit more, and maybe guys like me will have a song from literally, you know, 20-some-odd years ago playing in my head such that I might actually stream it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know that your your affinity to Sugar Ray is pretty, is pretty harsh, so, you know. Well, I, I've documented it quite extensively on the show. <laughs> How, okay, so... so you, you find yourself in Vancouver Airport. I misspoke. I thought you were at Pearson No, that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. And there you are in Vancouver, which makes it even more understandable that there was nobody around because, mm -hmm. you know, in Vancouver, they roll up the sidewalks fairly early. <laughs> and with that in mind, you know, tell me about the, the thought process that goes into being a content creator, because this is going to sort of segue into something else I want to talk to you about. Sure. Well, I mean, I think the process is that uh, it's it's... I won't say it's just about quantity over quality, but quantity and quality are almost even. I think that it's, uh, you know, that old uh, old adage of if if uh, Coca-Cola stopped advertising for a day, they, their sales would drop like, you know, 50% or whatever the saying was or the, the sort of, you know, fake statement was about that. That idea that if you're at a profile, you kind of disappear a little bit. And I think that's very true for content creation. I think if you, you have people like uh, who are high profile content creators, like Lily Singh or something, who I remember last year, whatever it was, decided to take uh, some time off because it was getting too much. And then she was back within a month because I think there was like too much pressure of like, oh God, I'm going to lose everything if I don't keep going. Well, yeah, like you hear all these people who say, I'm, I'm getting off Facebook. I'm deleting all my social media profiles. And then, you know, a week later, they're back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But for folks like you, that's that much more critical because of the algorithmic nature of things like YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine uh, Twitter specifically, as well as any other social media network, that one of the factors that the algorithm takes into consideration when deciding whether or not to put your content in front of my eyeballs is the frequency at which you post content in the first place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, which is very, very frustrating. And I mean, I, you know, we've had that issue tremendously with Facebook, for example, um, where you're going up against, uh, you know, for us, our demographic goes up against sites like Scary Mommy or something who do lots of great content, but they post maybe 30 pieces of content per day. And they have a whole team and it's a whole, it's a whole effort, like the whole publishing unit that's doing that uh, compared to me where it's like, I'm waiting for something funny to do and, uh, and something that I can make fun of. And, you know, if I get out three videos a week, I'm quite happy. So little things like posting stupid videos of me dancing in the airport, I think it's sort of almost like uh, it tides people over in the meantime while they're waiting for an actual piece of content. But does it tide people over or does it tide the algorithm over? And are you not concerned that someone's going to go, oh, 
Well, that brittle star thing wasn't as funny as the last thing he did. <laughs> Everybody thinks that all the time. <laughs> right. You know, that, that whole idea that you're only as good as the last thing you did. And if the last thing you did wasn't done for any reason other than to satiate the need of the algorithm, yeah. then who's really going to hit a like button? Who's really going to hit a retweet? Well, you're right. I mean, you're totally right. However, the issue goes right back to the algorithm and that, you know, it's it's absolutely phenomenal how many people will say to me, uh, are you still making videos? It's like, yeah, yeah. I posted a video on Thursday that I think that has like 400,000 views. Like, yes, yes, I'd still make videos. Uh, so you're kind of slave to the algorithm. And just because... Uh, oh, there's a Grace Jones song in there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Slave, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think, you know... Uh, wow, I thought I was going back with 1997. <laughs> well, I was trying desperately to do a pull up to the bumper, baby. Sort of joke with that, but I couldn't think of something <laughs> fast enough. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you, you have to, you're, you're doing content to appease the algorithm, not to appease your, your crowd, your audience, because if you don't appease the algorithm, your audience will never see your content. It's not a case of, uh, again, pointing out to Facebook, you know, when you click like or follow on a page that doesn't guarantee you're going to see any of the content that that page puts out, which is super frustrating as a creator. But I mean, it's just the game that it is. I don't know how anybody makes a living on these platforms when they change the rules so often and so radically that you have no idea if you, when you post something, it's going out into the ether and who's actually going to see it. Got two words for you from Brittle Star, Vine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was your experience, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, before Vine disappeared, it was unthinkable to, to, to have a platform that millions and millions and millions of people used every day would just stop, you know, would just disappear. Um, but I mean, I, I think that's one of the things I remember somebody saying to me ages ago, like when, when I started to sort of get some success on Vine and they said, and I was worried because people were ripping off my videos and posting them on their own accounts. And uh, they said, just always put your face in them. Then if someone steals it, at least they'll still know it's you. So I've kind of stuck by that. And that sort of helped me through the vine disappearing and moving from platform to platform and that type of thing. Yeah, it's just, this is why, no, never mind. I'm, you, were you about to do an old man rant? <laughs> uh, no, I, I was about to do an old man rant. I, I took an antihistamine and now I'm sort of drifting away. Ah, okay. <laughs> Let's make it all about me. Because I am going to be appearing at Social Media North. Is that what it's called? That's what it's called. That's what you hooked me up with? That's what I hooked you up with, yeah. So it's too late. You can't back out. I can't back out. No. I asked Alan if he would come and participate in Social Media North in March, and his answer was, I'm in Portland. Yeah. No. I'm in, No, it's in March or, or May? It's in May. Oh, May. May. Uh, I'm in Poland. Why would I go to Portland? I don't know. I thought you said Portland. <laughs> Why would I go to Poland? Okay, fine. <laughs> no one has ever said that before. I'll be in Poland. Why would I go to Portland? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is in Poland? Uh, I've been asked to speak at a music conference. See, I've been asked to speak at a social media conference. There you go. There you go. There okay. you go. But I bet you it's probably like a, a music conference in Poland that's happened like a number of times. So I have no idea. Yeah. I'm in Gdansk. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's a well-established and uh, I don't want to say boring, but not like being at the first ever social media fan-focused convention, though. 
No, absolutely not. Yeah. Are the Schmengi brothers going to be there? <laughs> oh, please. You know, you were yelling at me for my Grace Jones. Exactly. Uh, reference. That's the same. Re that's the same era. You basically jumped right back to '81. what to expect for Social Media North and what should I be expecting at the big panel on which I'm participating titled Does Mainstream Media Still Exist? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole thing was born out of the idea that I go to a lot of, you know, social media type conference, not a lot of, but a fair number of them. And the, the big ones, of course, are VidCon in Anaheim. And uh, the other big one is Playlist Live, which happens usually in Orlando or mainly in Orlando. And then occasionally in uh, New Jersey and then Washington, D.C. And they're both phenomenal events. And for years, I tried to get the playlist company to do something in Canada because I thought, man, there's going to be a bunch of like these, these events are like a, they're business oriented at the front end. And then they kind of move out and open up into like a general fan focused thing where if you want to go meet your favorite YouTuber, or your favorite Instagram person, Twitter person, whatever, you go to this conference and you have a chance to meet with them or just even just be in the same area as them and sort of hang out and do the same kind of stuff, which is really fun. And I tried to get them to come to Canada and they just, I mean, their eyes would glaze over when I'd mention HST and they'd be like, no, I don't know what that is. I can't, I can't figure it out. And so we decided, uh, this past year, we were like, you know what, screw it. We're just going to do it ourselves. And it, you know, we'll, uh, we have to sort of tame our expectations for the first year, but the response has been so great because I have a number of, you know, not my followers slash if you want to call them fans, but other people's fans who are excited about the roster, people who are coming saying, this is really great because we get to go. And, uh, as an industry, we can kind of celebrate the Canadian content creation, uh, scene on the Friday, which is, you know, when you're going to be having the spotlight, uh, Michael, and then Saturday, uh, having a, a, a more open to fan focus type of thing where there's going to be on stage Q and A's and performances, and it's a much bigger venue and all type of things. So the Friday's a very business day. It's about 250 people. It's like the creme de la creme of uh, agencies and cre content creators in Canada and from the States. And uh, the Friday is going to be a larger uh, event of about 1,200 people and um, uh, should be sort of more of a fun hangout type atmosphere. It'll be, it'll be a good time. It'll be really good. And Canada's so slow to celebrate ourselves. So I'm eager to kind of hopefully help kick that a bit. Yeah, because outside of Canadian Music Week and maybe something at North by Northeast, we really haven't been getting too deep into this sort of thing. No, I mean, there's other great conferences, like there's Social Media Week in Toronto, which is great. There's uh, there's Social West, which happens in Calgary, which is awesome. There's Vancouver Web Fest. Uh, there's Buffer Fest in Toronto. Buffer Fest is essentially a film festival, as well as Vancouver Web Fest, same thing. Same thing. Uh, and then Social Media Week and Social West are very industry-focused, so they're not really a case of, like, I love... Uh, you know, Curtis Connor or Casey Golden or these types of YouTubers or whatever, you're not necessarily going to go, I'm going to go to that so I can meet that person and learn from what, you know, they have to say. Uh, it's more a case of uh, agencies going and learning uh, industry tricks and tips and that type of thing. Whereas Social Media North is going to be much more of a fun hangout. I've tried, tried, tried to explain to someone the other day, I was saying, you know, and it's unfortunate because they were too young and they didn't get it. I was like, it was like the old, you know, back in the days, the debaucherous days of Much Music Video Awards, where it was kind of like a little bit too loose and a little bit too casual, but a little bit kind of organized and very Canadian. And it's kind of like you you, you want to be able to just kind of uh, 
not have any my rule is no dickheads basically that's my rule it's a good rule yeah well then it's definitely not going to be anything like the much music video well yeah <laughs> well i was never invited so i don't yeah. know so but what i like most about this and i hate most about it at the same time mm. is you're making me haul my ass out of the center of the universe yeah downtown toronto into the other center of the universe yeah to, to go to Stratford, Ontario. Yeah, the and, actual center. And I love the idea that you went, you know what? If we're going to do this, yeah. I might as well do it in my town. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, there's like half a million people that come to Stratford every year for the theater. And then just last year alone, there were 18,000 people who came to the Justin Bieber exhibit at the Stratford yeah. Perth Museum. So getting here isn't, doesn't seem to be a problem for people from anywhere in the world. And uh, you're right. I mean, there's certainly there's like a luxury to be able to do it in my hometown because, you know, I, I, I'm fairly well liked in town and I can sort of, you know, ask things and get things happening. <laughs> I like this fairly well liked. <laughs> you're, you're a bit of a celebrity in your hometown, aren't you? Listen, man, I can't get through Sobeys once without getting stopped. You know what I mean? It's hard. It's super hard. I love that. Yeah. I, I used to say that I was uh, specially TV famous. You right. get to say you're internet famous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I get the, you know, like one of the first times I went to Playlist Live, and I sort of maintain this is the description of internet fame is uh, at Playlist Live. And I, there was another content creator guy there. It's very funny. And uh, I said to him, you know, that's like a, it's like a convention for the vaguely familiar. <laughs> it's a veritable who's that yeah because you know them like you sort of and you and it's funny because you'll get a lot of especially a lot of kids like looking at your lanyard going uh can i have a picture just in case you know <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah, just in case you're going to be famous or just in case i'll recognize you later exactly so i mean there's a little bit of that but at the same time who cares i mean it's fun and it's great and i mean one of the uh, people we're working on trying to get to come which is uh smudge lord the cat you know from those cat memes that are going around right now with the yelling woman from the uh, real oh, housewives yeah. thing and then the cat sort of making the face at the table are you going to put it on a panel <laughs> it might be on your panel we'll see <laughs> <laughs> what i'm particularly looking forward to is meeting cash cabs adam grow he's a very handsome man well, thank you for saying so, because people frequently confuse him and me. People will stop me on the street because they go, I've seen that guy on TV. Isn't he the cash cab guy? And if it's not that, it's CTV's Pat Foran doing the consumer protection show. Well, here's what I have to quick story to tell you about that, because you had agreed to come to Social Media North and Adam had agreed to come to Social Media North roughly at the same time. And so we do these little announcements where we like pop your, your picture, your headshot into like a little frame that we can push out on social. Yeah, thanks for stealing mine off my personal Facebook page, pal. Listen, it's the only good looking one we could find, right? Sure. We're trying to sell tickets. We're not trying to scare people away. <laughs> How many people do you think you're going to get for this thing? I think we're going to have probably about 1,400 people in total the first no year. No kidding. Yeah, so I think it'll be pretty good. Then, for for oh, first hold on, year, hang on. you said 1,200 for Saturday. Does that yeah. mean only 200 are showing up for my day? 250 it's capped at for your day. So it's a oh. very exclusive sort of thing on the Friday. The Friday is the business day. Right. And that's kind of like the movers and shakers. And plus you get free breakfast and lunch. All right. So what's your Adam Grow story? So the story is you guys both kind of said you'd do it at the same time. And then we take the pictures. We make these little squared uh, images to push out on social to say that so-and-so is coming. And I took a little longer to put you and Adam out because you look quite similar. So I was waiting for another person to confirm so I could use them as a buffer between the two of you. So the people wouldn't think I just made a mistake and used the same picture twice and just changed the name. <laughs>
Thanks for signing me up and and bringing me on board, and thanks for coming on the big show, I think. Stuart Reynolds is Brittle Star, the Internet's favorite dad. He joined us from his hometown in Stratford. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So you're in uh, Singapore. Yeah, my uh, wife has uh, not had a vacation in quite some time, so uh, I promised that I would take her to see you 2 here in Singapore, which we did the other night. And? And? And you know, it was really quite interesting. They played at the National Stadium here. There were about 50,000 people. It was the first of two shows. Uh, people came from all over the region to see it, uh, Australia, New Zealand. I met some people from Dhaka in Bangladesh. Um, Indonesia, India, all that sort of thing. They've never played Southeast Asia before, so this was kind of an interesting experiment for them. They're on their Joshua Tree 30 tour, which means they play a bunch of hits, then they play the entire Joshua Tree album, then play a bunch more hits, and then leave over the course of about uh, two hours and 15 minutes. And it was interesting because in this part of the world, uh, this kind of music did not really... Western music, Western rock music, really didn't catch on until about the middle 1980s, because before that there were all kinds of uh, political, social, religious, uh, economic reasons why this kind of music uh, from our part of the world did not gain any sort of traction. So a a lot of people, my friend uh, Shazad, for example, included, he has no grounding in the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or any of those bands that we would consider to be classic rock. For him, classic rock is, is Huey Lewis in the News. So to have a band of U2's caliber come in and play to a lot of people just like him, I wanted to see what it was like. And uh, basically, it boils down to this. I mean, they were very, very grateful to have the band in. They were you know, very excited about the whole thing. Did they change anything about the band? Because you had mentioned last week that in many cases, different parts of the world, because they've got different definitions of classic rock, that tracks will often get changed to accommodate the musical tastes of any given region. Was there something different about a U2 concert in Singapore versus what I would have seen in Toronto? Yeah, the the two differences are uh, that uh, Asian audiences, at least Southeast Asian audience audiences, don't would rather listen to the singer sing. Uh, the foreign fans that were in the audience were happy to sing along with the singer. Mm. So that's that's one thing. So audience participation. Audience participation. So when Bono was trying to do some sort of call and response thing, uh, only really, and again, this is a sweeping generalization from, from where I was sitting, only really the foreigners were the ones that were responding to that because that's what they do at home. Um, it, it's certainly not what's what's done in, in certain parts of, uh, of, of Asia. Mm. And the other thing was, the, the people in Singapore were the neatest people I've ever seen. So we're uh, in the stands, uh, I don't know, five, ten rows up from the field level, and there's about, oh God, I don't know, maybe 20,000 people on the field, standing room, general admission. 
and uh, Singapore allows you to buy four beers at a time to take to your seat or wherever you are. And uh, the people on the field, as soon as they finished whatever they were drinking or eating, dutifully went and put it in a number of bins. So at the end of the show, if you looked on the floor, the general admission area, there was almost no garbage because everybody cleaned up after themselves. But isn't that because if you don't, you get thrown in prison? No, well, not not no. It's it's it's, well, it's not just like for that. Chewing gum, right? Uh, chewing gum is something that you have to register for at a pharmacy. Yes, uh, but in terms of 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 uh, you know being compassionate, being considerate, being clean, it was it was really good. There was not you know who doesn't want to go to a show where there's no garbage. It was it was um was shocked and pleased. So you had a good time. Yeah, we had a very good time. Uh, if if you were at the Joshua Tree Tour anywhere in North America, yes, uh, it was slightly different in terms of the way it was arranged, but uh, otherwise, it was a uh, it was a very entertaining thing. And one thing that I did not know is that Adam Clayton, the bass player for U two, when he was fourteen, actually lived in Singapore for a while, so he was introduced as a, a local boy. Ah, you didn't weasel your way backstage. No, tried, uh, but they weren't doing any sort of, of press. Ah. I, re- I really did try. and I, I Because I would have asked a lot of the same questions that you just asked of me. Mm-hmm. Um, this tour started in New Zealand, went all the way through Australia, and is making its way through some other cities, including on the 15th of December, they're playing Mumbai, and they have never played India. So there's another market that is is rather you know wide open for um, a number of Western acts. Um, oh, one thing that I did forget to mention is that, uh, you know, Bono goes on one of his, uh, as he always does, he goes on his human rights rant towards the end of the show. And Very popular in Singapore, I'm sure. Well, one of the things that he did is, is, you know, he talks about how men should be free to love men and women should be free to love women. Um, in Here in Singapore, uh, homosexuality between men is illegal. Women can do whatever they want, but for between men, it's illegal. So uh, when he said that, it was like, mm, okay, let's see how that goes over. And uh, what was the audience? Well, I haven't heard anything yet. No. I haven't seen or heard anything yet. All the write-ups in the papers and anything I've seen online have been very, very uh, positive. By the way, this this kind of goes to something I was uh, meant to tell you last week. When I was uh, transiting through Hong Kong on my way home from Thailand, um, there was a woman at the, you know, you know how when you fly into an international airport, sometimes you have to go through some sort of pre-screening before they let you even into the transit area to make your connection. Sure. Uh, this woman, this is at the height of the, uh, well, they're still going on the big protests in, in, in China, in, in Hong Kong. And, uh, she walked through, um, security wearing a Winnie the Pooh t-shirt. Oh, that's a reference to, uh, China, is it not? Well, the leader, she, yes. who they say, you know, Winnie the Pooh was banned in China because of all the people who are saying that uh, he, looks like from Winnie, he looks like him. Yeah. So she went through security wearing a Winnie the Pooh t-shirt. I thought, I don't know if I'm going to ever see you again, sweetheart. Do you have your tickets for Diamond Dave for CES 2020 in Vegas yet? I have not done that yet. I will get on it when I get home. Okay. Because uh, you've got fans on the big show who are more than happy to contribute to the world's most popular podcast to get us to CES 2020 in January oh. by way of our GoFundMe campaign saying, yeah, man, you got to see Diamond Dave while you're there. Good. All right. Let's uh, let's make it happen. I, I will do that when I get home. It's just, uh, 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 yeah, I'll do it when I get home. I'm on vacation. You're lucky that I'm even talking to you. 
Uh, generally, yes. Yeah. We want to say thank you to Mike Tweedy, who donated f- uh, 100 additional dollars to our Geeks and Beats CES 2020 GoFundMe campaign to get us down to the big show January 5th through 9th. At least that's when we're going to be down there. So we want to say thank you to Michael for making that possible. Last week, we also uh, tipped the hat to Ryan Metherall, who donated 25 bucks. Alan Gibson, 100. Uh, Joe Vanden Dickenberg donated 150. I failed to mention at the time, but this was a birthday gift for his wife, Antoinette. Oh, well, that's nice. You know, I'm, 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 I'm actually shocked at the number of people who have been so generous at, at giving us money. I mean, an, an additional $100? I mean, that's... It's 200 bucks. I, I feel humbled. Three, 33 donors so far, 56 people have shared this, and we've got 34 followers on the GoFundMe campaign. And the beauty is, is that if you donate $1 to get us to CES, if you donate 100 sorry, $99 to get us to CES, that will get you a digital raffle ticket that goes into the virtual bin when we're at CES for this increasing pile of crap I've got here in the home studio. I just, oh, yeah. I just had... Amazon send me an Amazon Show 8. Which, which is? Which is an 8-inch screen version of their Amazon Echo devices. Oh, right. They sent me two. They sent me one to review, and I've got it in the studio. The other one's in a box that I haven't opened up yet. And what it means is that that, along with a whole bunch of other gadgets, will give away on the show, live at CES. And the only way you can possibly win any of this fantastic stuff, I call it crap only because it's taking up an insane amount of space in the studio right now, um, is that you get a chance to win this. We also got, hang on, let me check it out here. Helm Audio. Helm Audio sent us some true wireless 5.0 headphones. Ooh. A couple of hundred bucks right here. Helm believes nothing should come between you and your music. Through cutting-edge craftsmanship and a bunch of other things that are covered by the label, um, they I haven't opened it up. They sent me only one, so I'm not even going to do an unboxing and a review. I'm just going to keep it in the box because we're going to want to be able to give this away. And, of course, the only way to do that is if you you donate to the big show. So that, combined with a whole bunch of other things, including, uh, what else have we got back here? Uh, we've got, I got an August lock. Do you have one of those uh, digital high-tech locks that you can unlock over the Internet? No. Oh, um, for your front door or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay, see, I've got uh, a century home, which means that in the winter, as the house shifts with the changing of the temperature, all my doors start to stick. So I don't have a digital lock for my house because it would only work like four months of the year. Right. Um, but if you've got a new build or a newer build or at least newer door frames, you'll probably be just fine. So we're going to throw all of this into the kitty at the show. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com, click the button at the very top of the page, tell you more about how to support the show, support us via GoFundMe, you'll be able to uh, get your, your, your digital raffle ticket added to to the big bin as it were and we'll we'll spin that virtual bin while we're at ces Hmm. okay yeah so thank you very much for everyone who supported us so far and particularly who continues to support us on patreon last week's show entertainment intelligence with gary delaney uh landed us uh, a buck for the episode from Microsurf, one from Roland Wood, Antoinette Vanden Dickenberg, $2, Mark Wagner, Adrian Bashford, C. Scott, Sheila McMahon, Walter McVeigh, Ian Long, Tim Rickard, Kevin Ryan, Craig Atkinson, Sean Jate, who is our ace director who will be joining us. Well, he's, he, wait, he's contributing, yet he's going? Yes. That's a bit. He, he, not only on Patreon is he supporting us with a dollar per episode, but he put a $96 lifetime limit, which means we won't ding his credit card after 96 episodes. 
Okay, well, that seems a little kind of productive. That he, well, if he wants to be for himself, fine, that's fine. Yeah, so thank you very much, Sean, for that. Aaron Warner, Alyssa Sang, and uh, Kyle Hillstrom as well, among others, uh, who have made it possible for us to get to CES in the first place because we've already got the tickets. We've already got the hotels booked. I made a smart-ass joke via the Twitter account about how, uh, thanks to the listeners, we won't have to uh, be sleeping under an overpass, and somebody tore me a new one on Twitter for making fun of the homeless. Yes, that is what Twitter is for. You offended somebody with your callousness, and then now you should be canceled. Precisely. So I, uh, I apologized profusely and immediately pulled the tweet off the Twitter machine, and of course it's still on Facebook. Yeah, okay. So... Still plenty of opportunity for manufactured outrage. Yeah, oh, please. It is a growth industry, and it's not going away anytime soon. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcasts with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.